the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. A newly published book called The Age of Agency, Rise with AI by Karushan Govinda is doing remarkably well in South African bookstores and overseas. Here's what it says. The AI tidal wave is upon us and there's no turning back. We have a unique opportunity to prepare for the most significant step change humanity has ever seen. To navigate this era successfully, we must understand AI, its mechanics and its scope. It's time to transition from mere fascination to becoming skilled operators of this groundbreaking technology. AI has entered our realm and whether we like it or not, we need to act. Now, if you're wondering what that has to do with crypto, just hang on a bit. We're joined now by author Karushan Govinda. Welcome, Karushan. Good to talk to you. First time on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. That's an intriguing title, The Age of Agency. Obviously, you've touched on something fundamental to the debate around AI and its ethical limitations. You write that computers and AI are incapable of agency. So they can't really make useful future goals or decisions for the individual or the corporation. Explain what is meant by age of agency and also what motivated you to write the book. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Kiran. And um, I appreciate the opportunity to share my views on your show. So let's get right into it. The whole concept of agency. Basically, agency as a word, it means autonomy or decisiveness or the ability or willingness to act in, um, you know, for one's own determinism. So it's, it's all about taking initiative, being resourceful and being decisive and exercising one's power, power of choice. That's the concept of agency. It's actually a very uh, favorable concept. It's looked upon very favorably when it comes to people who are you know, looking to hire others. You know, the concept of agency is a very uh, well-regarded um, trait. Different people show different levels of agency in life. So there has been this notion or this idea that we are entering into an era of computer agency because uh, artificial intelligence, by virtue of the fact that it's exercising its right to decide, there's an element or a, um, a, you know, it comes across as though there's an element of agency on the part of the computer. And that's actually just, you know, it's just an entire, um, it's a misconception. And uh, that's what the book tries to to work through with the reader um, it's it's to get the reader to see for herself or for himself that the, um, the the concept of agency on the part of the computer is actually a mirage it's not a real thing um, the decision factor still comes back to the human operating the AI and I have a more in-depth example of that I could touch on that very quickly if we still have time on this question you know there's this there's this element of a, a human being, um, is able to create a new future based on what they decide. So it sounds it sounds like a very glorified concept, but it's actually a very simple thing. Like even on a Sunday afternoon, a person will choose to do something that they want to do. So a lot of our future is determined by desire. So human beings are natively set up to create futures based on what we decide and based on what we are drawn to, what we gravitate towards. There's all sorts of stuff that helps us determine our future. However, factually, a computer or artificial intelligence is limited by the data that lives in huge data sets. And then the patterns in those data uh, in the data sets tend to uh, give likelihoods. So what are the likely outcomes that's going to occur based on um, old patterns? 
And that's the only way that a com- computer can make a future prediction or a decision, if you want to call it that. And because of the fundamental difference in the way we make decisions, um, the way the AI logic operates versus the way a human being makes a decision, I felt that there was a need to, to get that, that story told in detail so that people can take a lot more comfort in knowing that they can never actually be replaced by computers. And in fact, they can take their rightful place by understanding their strength versus the strength of AI. Yes, there's been a lot of discussion over the last year about the threat of AI to employment and views on both sides. Some saying this is going to just reskill people or force them into new occupations which are really embracing this technology. Others saying that this is going to be disastrous. So we, this is a debate actually that's been going on for hundreds of years. Whenever you get a technological breakthrough, is this going to be a good thing? Uh, and, and, you know, relying on computers to make ethical decisions, you know, should we, um, should we bomb our neighboring country or something like that as an extreme example? Would you leave that to a computer? You do kind of need the human agency, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that those decisions and certainly decisions of of great magnitude will ever be left blindly into the realm of the computer. I mean, let me ask you this, you know, we've had um, systems like autopilot flying planes for a long time. Have we ever questioned the value of a pilot? Uh, This has been around. This has been a technology that's been around for a long time. You know, we definitely still require that there's a trained individual providing oversight because there's a whole bunch of lives at stake. And it's never that particular scenario of an autopilot versus an actual pilot has never come up, you know, in big debate or conversation. I've never known any major group of people sit around discussing whether planes require pilots, you know. Um, it's just a case of practicality. There's a specific role that's served by autopilot versus the role served by an actual pilot together with the first officer. Um, so if we extend that thinking out into the real world, the, the major thing that's going to affect employment is how productive we are, because how productive we are determines how much we expand at the organizational level. So if organizations are expanding and doing well, they're going to employ more and more and more of the unemployed. And the the thing that catalyzes that expansion is the factor of getting good products into the world. And to the degree that AI helps us get good products into the world in higher volume and quality is to that same degree that we're going to wind up expanding more at the organizational level and we're going to wind up recruiting a lot more people. So factually, and I, and I know a lot of people talk about this, but it's actually not that big of a concern. The truth is people will be impacted. There's no question about that. There will be a people impact, but it's not going to be the impact that we that a lot of us think it's going to be. It's not going to be these mass net layoffs. It's going to be people who, who don't differentiate themselves and people who don't create a value statement for themselves that's you know right for the era of AI they do stand to become redundant in the face of of AI, but more people will be hired. The only difference is that the people who will be hired will be those who bring value that that cannot be easily uh, matched or replicated by AI. It's the people who have differentiated their value versus the uh, the value brought uh, by AI. And I think that that's where the opportunity lies for, for people. All right, I want to come back to that. I just want to discuss your, your background. You held a senior position at Microsoft before venturing off on your own. You're also a serial entrepreneur and you're trained as a statistician and economist. Tell us a bit about your career path. So I've always been a coder. I taught myself coding, you know, at the age of 16, I think it was. 
And then I uh, kept going. Eventually, I got my, you know, I got through university by teaching other people how to code. And then I studied something completely different at university. That's when the statistics and economics came in. And then I got, got into the working world. My first job was at Microsoft. I was part of Microsoft College Hire program. It was a global program. They hired 22 people from around the world. It was the first program of its kind and two people from Africa. And I was lucky enough to be part of that. So I got into the company and really found my passion in the area of using software to enable people to live good lives. And um, that, that's where the bug bit and where I really saw my job in the world, you know, to really get, to get behind the, the mission of using technology to enable people to do great things and to live better lives and to beat their own adversity. So I did that for a whole bunch of years. And then, like you said, eventually, uh, you know, left the, the, the comforts of corporate, the spoils of corporate for the toils of entrepreneurship. And that's when I took a leap of faith and went off on my own and then set up a, you know, my first company and stuff grew from there. And right now I basically um, work primarily with the tech vendors, the major tech vendors of the world. So I work with Microsoft, I work with SAP, I work with VMware, Cispro, and some others. And what we do is we help them take their, their flagship complex products to market. So we work mainly with the big, big vendors and we help them take their products to other businesses. Now, going back to the age of agency, a lot of people compare AI to earlier tech breakthroughs, for example, the internet, uh, mobile phones, or cloud computing. You see something far more interesting on the horizon. Explain what you see. Yeah, I think that um, definitely all of these tech break, big breakthroughs that we've seen uh, you know, have provided some level of step change to the way we work. I mean, if you look at just cloud computing in itself, Cloud computing and the pro- proliferation of SaaS apps, um, which is basically just software as a service, um, we, we now have a situation where people don't think twice about using software to do really um, niche pieces of work. So in the past, uh, in my early days at Microsoft, it took very large companies with large IT budgets to be able to enable that kind of functionality using IT systems. But today, just about anyone can go to a website where you know there's an application behind the website and they can sign up for just a user, two users or whatever it is and, and, and pay on a, on a per use basis. You know, So they don't have to worry about expensive architecture and um, infrastructure. They just have to go ahead and use whatever they need and then they get out of there and keep on going with the rest of their day. And that alone, just that one tiny thing that I described created a step change in the way we work as human beings on the planet. But... Even that step change that we've observed is absolutely pales in comparison to what we're seeing right now with artificial intelligence. Number one, the, the, the growth and the pr- proliferation of the technology itself is insane. It's, it's, like, it's like nothing we've ever seen on this planet, no matter the technology category. So adoption has been absolutely huge and widespread across the world. And the other thing is that what the technology does and how it does it and how it unlocks productivity um, for humans is unparalleled in, in the history of computing. So what, we, what we're going through right now will fundamentally change the world and how the world looks and how the world works in at least two to three years' time. As soon as that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you do see this happening. You mentioned Microsoft. You know, if you're a user of Microsoft Word uh, or Excel or some of the other products, Google. I've just noticed this just incidentally that the the search results when you're Googling are are much more precise. They're they're much more accurate. Word has got this kind of predictive text uh, function that, you know, sort of guesses what your, your next word. And it's amazingly accurate sometimes. Uh, I'm quite astonished because you can see this creeping in in ways that you don't typically associate with AI. Amazon is using it, you know, their algorithms to to try and obviously increase sales, but they know what your spending habits are. Those algorithms have been around for a while, but they are getting better. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think at the end of the day, um, what's happening is that uh, there's these large language models that are being entered into whatever existing algorithm might be present, and it's just sharpening up the algorithm by providing another source of likelihood. And so um, a lot of these um, established and new applications are not having to go and construct um, an entire um, GPT of their own. They, they leverage in the power of existing LLMs, and they are basically drawing that capability into their app so it's being done all, all over the show. And like you said, it's showing up in existing places and in old places, new places, and we're just getting to enjoy the benefits. Right. LLM being large language model, right? That's right. I, I just want to tie this back to crypto. You talk about the concept of agency. Now, this, of course, is fundamental to cryptocurrencies. This is why Bitcoin was developed. It was a way to escape the the bad management, bad financial management that, that is in evidence around the world. And if you read the Satoshi white paper, he explains why he went ahead with this, this product or the, with this protocol. You see cryptos featuring in this brave new world because of this concept of agency. It really does put sovereignty back in the hands of the individual. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the effective use of crypto has a very important role in this transformation that we're going to see emerge in the planet at scale over the next two, three years. And I cover that concept quite a lot in the book, actually. You know, there's many use cases uh, that you can play around with where human beings, no matter their situation, no matter their current level of resources, and no matter the adversity they face today, they can become so much more powerful than they ever could have been in the past, purely because of the ease of availability of these really, really powerful technology platforms. So, um, you know, even if you're, um, you know, living in impoverished circumstances and you want to start up a business, you can do so with a great amount of ease. And in the past, there were many controls and restrictions in terms of the exchange of money and the conversion of um, online money into value. And there were many things that stopped people from being able to actually go ahead and do these things. Um, because at the end of the day, it's what's in one's bank account that counts because they, people need to be able to, to exchange something for value in real life. Um, especially, you know, when you look at the bottom of the pyramid and people who are really battling in, in difficult, trying circumstances. So if you look at the role of crypto and what that unlocks for a whole lot of people, you know, initially there was the, um, there was a lot of interest in, uh, in crypto from a pure, you know, like currency um, exchange and the, the, buying and, the buying and selling of currency itself as an investment um, vehicle. Whereas, obviously, that's been evolving a lot over time, and crypto is a fulfillment mechanism for, um, for purchases and for ordinary transactions. So if you look at what that means for someone who's in a very difficult country where 
there's a lot of restrictions around how they transact and what they do and how they work with clients abroad. Crypto basically opens an entirely new uh, chapter of possibilities when it comes to fulfillment for something as simple as as maybe um, a, a dropshipping business. That could be a brand new possibility for someone who can dream of doing that. Um, or even if you look at someone who is just doing something a little bit more sophisticated and instead of getting um, involved in, in the traditional financial systems of their, of their country or uh, you know, their specific province, they can very easily circumvent a lot of that red tape and, and handle very significant substantial transactions with large entities and authorities around the world because crypto has become a more um, accepted form of doing business. So the point is that if you look at crypto unto itself, it's, it's quite a big topic, you know, understanding crypto and understanding it as an investment vehicle. But if we move beyond that, and if we look at crypto in concert with a person's ability to run a business in a way that they could never have done so in the past, and if you look at those two things combined, the whole value of crypto becomes so much more powerful because it unlocks so many new possibilities for people who physically are hampered by uh, environmental factors that are factually so difficult to overcome in the absence of something like crypto. I mean, if you rewind a few years ago and if you look at um, circumstances in some countries like Zimbabwe and a whole bunch of other countries where the limitations and the restrictions were so strictly enforced upon people that they physically had no choice. And to think that today, anyone anywhere has almost exactly the same access to really, really fancy technology, really, really powerful service sitting all around the world. And on the back of that, they, they can monetize no matter where they are, because all of the, 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 the trade restrictions have, you know, um, diminished to a large degree because of people's, uh, you know, easy, somewhat easy access to newer fulfillment methods. Yes, I mean, if you look at stable coins, the, the growth of stable coins has been huge, uh, and you know that's a, just a you know a crypto version of a fiat currency, but they can be transferred in seconds around the world. They don't have to go through a banking system, and the fees are much lower. So you can really see the use cases for crypto just exploding in front of our eyes. And th that very thing, you know, the mobile phone, what it did for the economies of Africa, where people have instant access to information and therefore they know the prices of everything and they can reach customers just the same way as somebody living in New York or Johannesburg. We really are at the technology is there for leveling this field pretty quickly but the question I have for you is again going back to AI the output which you mentioned in the beginning is only as good as the algorithm which is based you you have this, these huge data sets which they mine and they can interpret but somebody has got to craft or develop that algorithm so the idea of using an ai to make a crucial ethical decision for companies or individuals at, at some point you this is where the agency comes in because the algorithm <laughs> is completely agnostic as to you know wh whether to bomb or to make peace right I, i'm using a ridiculous example but you, you get my my sort of ethical challenge there yeah absolutely and I think the thing that we need to just be very clear on is that no one really understands how an AI is making its decision we have something called the black box phenomenon in AI and that is it's impossible to debug a particular scenario and um, because of wrong outputs so in a traditional application you know pre AI application if you were getting the wrong outputs in a you know in a specific type of output you would just debug from those outputs back into the code 
to locate what could be wrong with the app. But you don't have that luxury with AI. And it's because the way AI works, um, the black box effect, you know, these um, algorithms are like, um, you know, similar to how the neurons in the, in the brain are set up. So there's all these crisscrosses and all of these synapses happening along such complex overlaps that it's really hard to pinpoint what is the exact set or what, what was the exact permutation of, of um, synapses that produced that particular outcome. So the, the, the reality is that we have to give up the idea that we are going to influence the algorithm in any way. In fact, even when AI is producing an outright lie, what looks like an outright lie to you and I, it is actually not a lie to the AI because the AI produced that, that, that lie in exactly the same way as it produces the truth. So the algorithmic process to produce a lie is exactly the same as the al algorithmic process to produce a truth. It's not like a human being like where you and I would know when we're lying or when, we, when we're being dishonest or when we're being truthful. It doesn't work that way with AI. So because of that factor, and because of these realities in the world of AI, it's impossible for us to try and influence an algorithm to do something a particular way. Yes, you could train it with data and it will observe patterns in data, but you can't influence the algorithm in terms of the processing or the logic of, of the assimilation of the data. So to that end, oversight is critical. You can never run AI in the absence of oversight. So human beings have to reorient themselves, their careers, et cetera, to be the masters of AI, to be employing AI as a tool and not to be a mere spectators on the periphery. They have to be running AI. Like the joke is, AI is not taking the job of lawyers. AI is taking the jobs of lawyers who are not using AI, you see? So you have to be complementing your humanity with AI in order to be effective in the AI generation because AI will always require oversight. Yeah, you, you touch on an interesting field there, you know, AI in, in, in law, because there are a lot of um, services out there that will allow lawyers to uh, be able to mine information. Instead of having to sit in a law library and read through volumes, you can do this in seconds. You know, what's the relevant case data for this case that I've got coming up? And they also have these uh, these algorithms which will tell you uh, if you get a particular judge, what are your chances of success? They've got predictive models. It's quite fascinating. And it's not just in law that this is happening. It's happening in insurance and all, and all sorts of other areas as well. That, which brings me to my final question, and if you can be fairly brief on this one, what do you see as some of the more fascinating developments in the field of AI? Well, that's a massive question. I think there's there's a lot of talk about you know AGI, which is artificial general intelligence, which is that level of AI that people believe will ultimately compete with humanity. I think that if we steer away from that broad concept and and just um, you know come back down to earth to the more uh, real scenarios around us, I think that there's just a host of amazing applications out there that are so super niche that's really helping people become productive in a very effective way. I mean, you mentioned things like the, the, the legal scenario. There's been a guy in the US who lost his license because he made use of AI very liberally in one of his um, case preparations and he wound up referring to precedent that doesn't exist. That's and right. he lost his license, right? He manufactured uh, cases which didn't exist as, as his precedent. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, so we see that there's a whole, um, there's a whole thing on that. But, but more to the point, I would advise and I would urge everyone to just go, go ahead and locate 
those one to two to three really, really powerful applications that are incredibly niche, not necessarily the, the big generic ones, the ones that we all know, the things like um, uh, Copilot or, um, or, or even ChatGPT4 for that matter. Like if you just go ahead and investigate and find those really niche applications that serve a particular field or purpose and really play around with that and see how much value you can extract from that, that's pretty cool. The second big thing is I did mention Copilot very lightly. That's Microsoft's newest thing that it's putting out in the market right now. It comes within the office portfolio. It is truly, truly amazing. It's something to behold. The, the degree to which that thing can go into your data, your records, your stuff, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet, with your budget uh, or whether it's um, you know a PowerPoint that you created for some big client presentation, it can go rummage through all, all sorts of things and put together some of the most beautiful things uh, in no time at all. And it's actually using all of your data and all of your styles, your, your design style, your voice tone. It's quite a magical thing to play around with. So I would definitely say that that for me right now is exciting me hugely. We're going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Karushan Govinder, author of The Age of Agency. Go out and have a read of this very fascinating book. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.